Brother, we praise uh, God for you in attendance today. Uh, though you are in your homes, uh, we are still together as one. And there are some who are here, but we praise God for you participating in worship this morning and worshiping with us. Um, and we're thankful that you are present in the presence of God as we are present together. There is a pandemic and we, we are uh, praying for that. Uh, and that's what we as children of God do. We pray. And that's the power that we have. We have the power of prayer. I'm not going to spend an awful lot of time on, in fact, any time at all on the pandemic. Our brother Bob Lawrence gets to put, if you've noticed, he put on the preacher's hat this morning for the Bible class. And he, he's going to take it off and put the doctor hat on and talk to us later about this pandemic and give us information and even encourage us as Christians to serve. Let's go to our God in prayer, please. Oh, Holy Heavenly Father, thank you. For you are everywhere at all times. And we are always in your presence and in your midst. And today, Lord God, though we are divided by space, Lord God, we are not divided from you. And we thank you for the unity that you have allowed us today to experience. Though there is a virus that's going around and causing us to be separated. Yet we at this moment get to enjoy physically feeling your presence everywhere. And we thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to be able to worship you. For we know you have said where two or three are gathered together. and your name, there you are in the midst. This morning we ask that you will accept our worship here in this particular building and all over the world, as we worship you, we pray you'll bless us. We worship in spirit and truth to keep our minds focused on your word, your will, and your way. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we do pray and thank you to be your will. Amen. Exodus chapter 20 is where we're going this morning, beginning our lesson, picking up from last week, speaking of contentment. Contentment is very critical in regards to the Christian faith. Life has with it many struggles and many trials, but contentment, I think today is a very appropriate uh, time to speak of contentment because well, our lives of convenience, right, modern conveniences have been altered and changed in just a bit, but, but we are content in this very state that we are in in service to God until things change or until things are better. Exodus 20. Contentment over covetousness is critical. In verse 17, part of the law of Moses, the command, the last command, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Romans chapter 7. Contentment is critical. God says, do not covet. And then Paul brings up this very real passage that, you know, that comes into the heart of humanity where we think about contentment and you think about covetousness and God opens our, our eyes up and the scriptures are powerful. And what happens when you learn the law? Well, it causes you to investigate your own heart. And Paul says in verse 7 of Romans chapter 7, 
What shall we say then? Is the law of sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have known or come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. You know what Paul says, when I, when I examine the law and think of my heart, and I look deep into the recesses of my heart, I found something out. I'm a covetous man. See, he said, I struggle with coveting and that's not what I'm supposed to be. So Paul, in his effort to strive to do better and to be better, he recognizes his own weakness and he says, I found in me coveting. And that, brethren, Paul changed. First Timothy, please, chapter 6. It is something that we have to keep ever before us to learn to be content, to learn to honor God, to learn to be the people that God would have us to be. So here's something that we know. The love of money does horrible things to the mind. Verse 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Bible says, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pain. I want you to go to Proverbs chapter 23. I want to look at a few of the wisdom passages in the book of Proverbs here for just a moment. But here's what happens. The love of money enslaves us. It holds our minds captive. To constantly think of money would drive you mad. It would drive you absolutely crazy. Think about this. If you spent all day watching the stock market, it goes up and down and up and down and up. And that's all you It would drive you crazy as we gain and lose and gain and lose. But I want you to think about the love of money from the idea of the literature written to us in Proverbs. Verse 4, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings, like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. The Bible says it just flies away. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. It makes itself wings. Chapter 27. The love of money strengthens the covetousness that is inside of our hearts. The love of money brings restlessness and dissatisfaction in so many areas in our life. And here's something that's interesting. And we all know this. We can never have enough. You can never have enough. We'll never find true satisfaction in this life. That's because it's impossible. It's not meant to be found in this life. It's meant to be found in the life to come in service to God in heavens above. Proverbs 27 and verse 20. The Bible says, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Satisfaction of the eyes of the heart of the mind cannot be found outside of Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And when we're looking into the material and we're thinking about the material and we're focusing on the material and we even make the material our God, you can know for sure that that satisfaction you're looking for will never be attained. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 9, the Bible says, After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. He who loves money will never be satisfied because we can never have enough. There's always something more. There's always something else that's out there. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 7. And I want you to think about what this passage is saying to us in this, this proverb or this, this, this wisdom that God has given to us. Then I looked again at vanity under the sun. There was a certain man. Now listen, listen to his circumstance, his family life. Without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother, Yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, And for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity, and it is a grievous task. Why was that man working so hard when he had no one to give it to in this life? And no one to save it up for in the next He had no reason to work all day, every day, laboriously, except to live in this life. And the the wisdom is saying, even if you had no one to share your money with, if you love it, that's not going to slow you down from working laboriously for it. In other words, satisfaction cannot be found or attained in this life of the love of money. 1 Timothy chapter 6, please. So Paul, earlier, talking about coveting his struggles, and in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he finds that he's learned something. This is what's important. Contentment is something that has to be learned. Verse 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, So we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. God is not saying that we're not to make provision. We're talking about a person that is covetous in their heart who cannot set aside, or if you will, understand properly the proper behavior, as we spoke of this morning in Bible class, the proper behavior of the spiritual life. Of humanity. Colossians, please, chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to begin at verse 1. Listen to what's supposed to happen. Godliness is a means of great gain. Verse 1. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. 
For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Here's what we have to do as God's children. To find true contentment. It comes in a, in a trusting faith in God. One must learn to trust and have faith in God and to know that God will take care of our security. He will take care of everything that we need. And though we know that material things in this life do bring um, a measure of happiness, it will never bring true contentment. You have to learn to be content. And content is critical to our Christian faith. Sometimes we find ourselves being caught up in the trap that I'm going to convince myself somehow that in this life I will find true happiness without God. It's an absolute impossibility. And so the, 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 the ball, Paul is writing to us and saying, if you've been raised with Christ, you got to keep seeking the things above, not the things that are on the earth. We're striving after everything that's on the earth. But God says you've got to focus on your heavenly home for that is what it's all about. Philippians chapter 4. For Christians to truly, truly be able to comprehend the depth of Jesus' love and protection. Remember, we're looking at contentment with the idea of going to Hebrews 13, verses 5 and verse 6. In order for us to understand the true protection and the love of God, the compassion of God, the mercy of God, one must Learn contentment for it is necessary. Verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having an abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ, through Him who strengthens me. Right now, we are just a little inconvenienced in our life. But are you content? I mean, it is what it is, right? We are not God. We are not in control of anything. We can do our part by, um, you know, cleaning our hands and, and respecting and looking out for others. But are you content? It is what it is, brother. Instead of grumbling and complaining and crying, we have to learn to be content. We have to say, God, we trust you. We know that you know everything that's going on. We know you know everything about this pandemic. But we trust you. And God, if this is the state that we have to be in for however long, in this state, we shall be content. We're not going to be the ones in the grocery store pushing others over. We're not going to start fights. We're not going to, we're not going to cause chaos. No, God's people, we are going to be content. Trusting in God, knowing that whatever it is that we need, don't worry about it. We'll have it. Because we trust God. And we're going to do whatever we can, respecting what is right in the sight of all men, to help to eliminate the spread of this virus, if God wills. 
But in this state, we are going to be content. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Do you have a reason today to rejoice? Amen. Right? We have a reason to rejoice. Rejoice in the pandemic. Rejoice out of the pandemic. We have a reason to rejoice because we are children of the King. Because this is not our home. Our home is awaiting for us. God said, I go prepare a place. And that place is prepared for a prepared people. Rejoice always in the Lord. Again I say, rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Not far away. He's near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can we find peace in this time of our lives? Of course. Thank you, God, for the day. Luke, please, chapter 10. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to serve. This, brethren, is where we allow our Christian lights to shine. The reflection of Jesus. This is where we stand differently from the world. This is where we are the positive ones. And we can bring the glory of God into this trying situation. This is where, brethren, we shine. Thank you, God. But we have to learn to be content in the place that we are in today. Luke 10, verse 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Isn't it beautiful how Jesus always focuses our minds right back to heaven? That's where we're supposed to be focused, brother. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, do you remember in the book of Job when Job went through all of his, his struggles and, 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 and turmoil, and yet he praised God as blessed be the name of God. He even said, I know that my Redeemer lives. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Brethren, we have to rejoice and praise our God, focusing on the heavenlies, because that's where true happiness is found, when we focus our minds and our attention on heaven itself. Verse 8, the Bible says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these Things. And so as, as the world suffers, you can go back and look through the history of uh, the Bible and you'll find the history of man in and out of the Bible. You'll find that good, good people suffer when even evil people suffer or suffer at the hand of evil people. When, when things, when suffering is upon us, we are to be positive people. Right? Turn to Second Corinthians, please, chapter 4. We are to be the positive ones who look to heaven to encourage those who are faint-hearted, 
to encourage those who have no faith to learn to trust in Jesus, to help to encourage their faith, to increase their faith, to help them to see the light at the end of the tunnel. It is our responsibility to be a reflection of Jesus, to bring, if you will, satisfaction to the world in a spiritual contentment and service to our great God. In verse 16, our focus. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light afflictions is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so here we focus, Galatians please, chapter 2. In verse 20, here we focus on not the things that are physical. We focus as spiritual beings, as children of God, on the eternal. Keep our minds focused and fixed on heaven. Keep our minds focused and fixed on Jesus. Verse 20, for I have been crucified with Christ. And that's something we have to remember. I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself or gave himself up for me. Philippians chapter 3. Here, brethren, is our, our opportunity to shine, to Lift up the name of Jesus to show the world that God lives. We serve a risen Savior. We serve a living God, the only God, the one true God. And for that reason, brethren, we shall not shrink back in our faith. Philippians chapter 3 and the verse 20. The Bible says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our, our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Brethren, it is at this moment and at this hour that we extend to you the invitation to Repent if there are things in your life that are not in the proper order with God. We extend to you the opportunity to discuss this glorious gospel with someone who's lost, to help them to find their way in Christ Jesus. We extend to you the loving invitation of God. And we extend to you, though we are distant, remember that there's something that's on your heart today when the service is over with the folks who you are joined together with this morning in worship, that you will confess your faults one to another. And pray for each other. And as you have this moment to reflect in this, this particular hour, we, we extend to you God's invitation. If there's something that can be done and there's something that needs to be done, we encourage you to do it now. While together we sing our song of invitation.